This is a Capricorn FM podcast. The South African Product Health Regulatory Body has approved the use of the Pfizer vaccine for children aged 12 years and older. And they're saying that this was a result of reviewing updated safety and efficacy information submitted as conditions of Section 21 on March 16. We're talking to Acting Deputy Vice Chancellor of Research and Innovation at the University of KwaZulu-Natal, Professor Musa Mushabela. Prof, good evening and welcome. Good evening, Dr. Chaga. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good to have you on the show. Now, the development with SAPRA approving the vaccine for children aged 12 and older. Talk to us about that and its importance. Yes, I, I think that um, SAPRA has been uh, reviewing data that has been submitted continuously by Pfizer. Mm. And you remember that uh, Pfizer was given full approval a few weeks ago by the FDA in the in the U.S. Mm. That full approval was for anyone 16 years and above. Mm. And in South Africa, we have approved for 18 years and above mm-hmm. uh, through SAPRA. So what was also happening at the same time was that Pfizer was... Uh, administering uh, the vaccines for the age group 12 to 15. They already knew that for the 16 and above, it it works well, just like in the adults. But then they were administering it in the 12 to 15 years old with a a study of 2,000 participants in the U.S. and then found compared with a control group that was not uh, taking any five to see if there were safety uh, signals and so forth. And they realized that in that age group, there were no differences between people who were 16 and above for the 12 to 15 years old. So Capra has, in that regard, for that reason, approved that. I don't know if there is any other data that Sapra has looked at besides this study that we are aware of. Mm. So it is then, I think, the basis for, for the decision that Sapra has made it's not based on data or results from south africa itself it's more international data okay okay and, and perhaps just on that point i know it's 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 not necessarily the focus how often are the vaccines that we've used is the data based on something discovered or done in the country and yeah, compared to something question. done elsewhere no it's a good question it's a very important question um i think you you've, you've nailed it in the sense that so far, the principle has been in South Africa has been that um, because of the variant, the approved vaccines that were demonstrated to work. You remember that we approved Astra, Oxford AstraZeneca and then found that it did not quite work well against the variant, the beta variant. Yeah. And we rejected it and got rid of it. Mm. Ever since then, there was an implied principle to say that we would approve vaccines that have been demonstrated to work locally or against the variants locally. So that's why we've approved J&J. It was studied in South Africa. Mm. We approved Pfizer. It was uh, partly studied in South Africa. And uh, we have not. We have uh, also approved Sinovac with conditions that is able to demonstrate that it will work against the variants locally and it will have safety data. The others we haven't approved yet. So there is an implied principle that the the, the, the vaccines that are approved for the age groups that are, that are approved for, they must have been demonstrated to work here, which is a little bit inconsistent 
with the decision SAPRA has made. It doesn't mean SAPRA should only approve based on evidence in, in South Africa, because then we can use evidence from anywhere. But that, that has been the practice ever since the beginning of the year. Mm. And, um, of course, so that means they found the data provided to them uh, reliable, and, mm. and then they've, they've gone on with it. But in terms of the vaccination drive, how important is this development? Okay, so that is a, a very important question. And this is why I am actually much more interested in the Sinovac trial for children between 6 months and 17 years that is uh, been announced by uh, a collaboration between Nimolax and the Swakomahati University. Mm. That is a lot more exciting for me. They're also going to study 2,000 participants. Mm. Half of them will get um, Sinovac, and the other half will not get Sinovac. And then they will study the efficacy, they will study the safety, they will study the dosages and all of that. So... For me, that data is really going to give us the impetus that we need to be able to justify to South Africans why it's okay to do this. Because we've got preliminary data and we've got a strong argument to vaccinate uh, young people, especially 12 to 18 years old, 12 to 17 years old. The data is that it supports it internationally, but we haven't really demonstrated it in South Africa. And we try to say that we must never treat uh, children as uh, small adults. Mm. We need to see that they are independent people and we need to study what dose is right for what age group, what are the safety signals, and, and, and what are the effective efficacies of this vaccine in those age groups. So I, 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 it's an international study of 14,000 participants in different countries. South Africa is one of them. So that is very exciting for me. Mm, mm. Be- because on the other hand, there have been calls from communities. Why don't we vaccinate school children? We're allowing yeah. them to go back to school. And this would go into that space. That that would be the group that would benefit from this. Yes. So let me just uh, answer that question. Yes, absolutely. Remember that we've been having a lot of outbreaks in schools. Mm. Uh, and with Delta, we realized that the children were actually a lot more affected than we saw with previous variants. So this whole idea that children are not are less affected, uh, we've thrown it out now. We know that they are affected. And in fact, what is even said is that they also suffer long COVID where they've got continuation of symptoms beyond the acute phase. Mm. And that is, you know, forms uh, some sort of disability for them. And the other thing that I think it, it's worth noting is that uh, children also can still pass infection to households mm. and when people are vaccinated we know that uh, even though it does not stop infection mm. completely it really does reduce infection and therefore disrupts transmission from person to person and so schools you can think of them as daily social gatherings that can benefit from from vaccination so i really think that the department of basic education should actually be advocating for vaccination of children in order to enable children to catch up with learning, given the fact that they've been complaining that they have lost many days of uh, of learning. Mm. I'm just going to take you back to that point you made. One of our listeners and I had a conversation last week about when it's accepted that the those that are vaccinated, so vac- vaccines do not stop transmission. But as you yeah. said, it 
um, it 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 uh, limits uh, how what, what you, it, it limits how how strong one can transmit or not, or it at least does a serious blow to the transmission. Please explain how that happens. Yeah, let me let me let me explain it uh, this way. One is that we've got evidence that shows that um, it reduces vaccines reduce infection by about half, about fifty percent. Mm. And when you now have a larger proportion of the population vaccinated, it disrupts the spread between people so much that it can reduce it by even 85%. We just got data from Germany that shows that it reduces infection by 85%. And so you can imagine as a principle, if you, if you, if you prevent, you, you, you disrupt infection from one person to the next, mm. you are basically disrupting transmission. And when you disrupt transmission, then you protect other people who might otherwise be exposed. This is this notion, the whole notion of herd immunity is based on that. But what we are saying, and this is at a population level, but yeah. what we are saying is at an individual level, when a person is exposed to SARS-CoV-2, it, the, the vaccine will not necessarily prevent them from getting that infection into the body. No, that will happen. Yeah. But the body has been prepared and primed to respond quickly, such that it does not cause disease in them, or even if it does, it only causes a mild disease because the body will respond to it very quickly. Mm. And so the soldiers of the body will basically make sure that that infection is contained very quickly. Then when people are not vaccinated, when they are exposed, then they suffer the infection. And we don't know how severe that infection gets. For some people, it gets severe. And for many people, they end up with long COVID. Some people may actually lose their life. Does transmission depend in any reason on how severe the disease is in one's body? So not so much, actually, because what we have also demonstrated now in the literature, what has been demonstrated is that um, you know, a person who is mildly sick mm. can potentially still have the same kind of uh, viral load in their mouth and uh, pharynx and so forth that they can transmit. Mm. Including a person who's vaccinated, they can still be exposed to a virus. The virus might not cause a disease from them, but they can actually transmit to someone else. Mm. So that 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 we just need to understand that you know, because one is vaccinated or because one is mildly sick doesn't mean that they are not going to spread disease compared to someone who is very sick, no. In fact, someone who is very sick, you might end up avoiding that person or they might be isolating. The one who is mildly sick might take it for granted and might go around partying. They might actually infect more people. Mm, okay. And so the president last night announced the move to level two of the lockdown and, of course, talks of a possible fourth wave in, in, in December. There were reports last week that some provinces such as uh, Limpopo and Gauteng has uh, moved away from the third wave. Uh, what is your take on the move? There's caution being thrown into the wind that uh, we must be careful with how we move. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that we have to remember a couple of things. One is that um, only now the infections are coming down. Yes, they are now coming down rapidly, 
but they are only coming down now. The average infections, uh, seven-day average, is still 5,000 cases. We are not out of the third wave in mm. South Africa. Mm. We'll only go out of the third wave when our average infections have at least gone below 3,000 today. And our positivity rate really goes below 5%. We can say that you know, we've managed to control it to some degree. So we're not there yet. Mm. And for that reason, there is still a lot of virus circulating. And Delta is highly transmissible. We've said this many times. On top of that, when you are indoor, Delta can be airborne. Mm. It can stay in the air and spread in the air. When you now increase indoor gatherings from 50 to 250, you've simply increased the number of people who can be exposed in one sitting. Mm. So that increases the potential risk. And we know we're not very good at adhering to prevention measures. Masks distancing, even those numbers in the room might even go beyond 250. We don't have good ways of ensuring adherence or compliance. So my view is that this, for me, is a red flag that says that we risk seeing a resurgence of of, of COVID-19, including with Delta, because most people are thinking we are done with Delta, we have to wait for a new variant, sure. But actually, Delta can still resurge, you know, Come, come back up again. We saw that in Northern Cape. We, we saw that in, in the free state where you think it's going down, it comes back up again. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, that it's okay. we have to be really careful. Let's not drop our guard. Let's not be complacent. This is going to be risky. It's a necessary process politically, but it's really going to be risky for, for people's lives. So we have to make sure that we follow precautions. Every setting where there is a political rally, or a religious meeting, we should be having vaccination there mm. and ensuring that people like we use those opportunities to vaccinate people so that in December we can be in, in November for, for voting and in December we can be in a better place. Right. Thank you very much, Prof. I appreciate your time. That was a Capricorn FM podcast. For more podcasts, visit capricornfm.co.za.